In his book, uh, Hidden in Plain Sight, Mark Buchanan recounts this event with the Russian leader, Nikita Khrushchev. In 1959, Khrushchev made an unprecedented visit to the United States. This was soon after the death of Russian dictator Joseph Stalin. Khrushchev, Stalin's successor, had already caused a global stir by de denouncing in Russia in a long and intricately detailed speech to the Politburo Stalin's many atrocities, his genocidal policies against the Ukraine, his cold-blooded assassinations of toadies, informers, wonks, lieutenants, anyone who had become redundant, whose existence no longer served the party, his purges, both random and systematic, of anyone he didn't trust, which was almost everyone. Well, Khrushchev was scheduled to appear at the National Press Club in Washington. It was widely expected that he would deliver an abbreviated version of his Politburo speech. Every newspaper and magazine of any standing made sure that they had at least one reporter present. The room was packed. Khrushchev did not disappoint. He delivered via translator a shortened but potent indictment of his former boss, complete with corroborating evidence. He finished and opened the floor for questions. Someone called out from the crowd, Mr. Khrushchev, you have just given us an account of Mr. Stalin's many crimes against humanity. You were his right-hand man standing uh, during much of that time. What were you doing? The question was translated to Khrushchev, and when he heard it, he exploded with anger. Who said that? He demanded. No one answered. Who said that? He bellowed and glared at the audience. Silence. Who said that? He again asked, this time low and quiet, with more menace. Everyone looked at their shoes. After a moment, Khrushchev said, that's exactly what I was doing. Jesus tells us that there is one distinguishing characteristic of those who would truly follow after him. They know how to respond in authentic living in the midst of carelessness. They've learned to put their faith into action. They don't just stand around looking at their shoes. They are good to go. As one of Jesus' right-hand men, Peter delivers on what faith is to look like when we embrace the truth that God has given us everything we need to live radically different lives, lives filled with purpose and godly character. Faith, the precious kind of which Peter speaks, is never satisfied with shoegazing. It calls for stepping up to our responsibility as followers of Jesus. And so with this in mind, Peter lays out seven steps we need to take in order to reach the level of character development that goes with a life formed and empowered by the Spirit of God. Each step leads to another as we move forward in our spiritual growth. And so here's what Peter says. Make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness mutual affection and to mutual affection love. Let me ask you this morning, what is it that draws you to God in transformational living? If you are like me, there is a good possibility that you have been led to understand life as God intends us to live in terms of adhering to certain belief systems or behavioral patterns and church structures while avoiding anyone or anything that doesn't meet the criteria of being a Christian. 
If so, then you may read a list like Peter writes and immediately begin to think in terms of rules and restrictions and religious practices. You experience feelings of obligation and soon are lost in an attempt to fulfill a responsibility without a suitable framework to support your efforts. It may be helpful when we consider lists like this, which we tend to read as rules, to understand the word rule with a meaning that is more in tune with its original intent. The root word that literally um, means trellis, derived from the Greek and Latin. A trellis is scaffolding that enables a plant to grow upward and reach toward the sun. When the plant can't support itself, the trellis enables it to continue climbing heavenward. And so a ruled life is essentially embracing a pattern for living that enables us to climb higher and frees us for greater service to God and benevolence to others. The starting point and foundation for every ruled life is a transforming faith built on an absolute confidence in the trustworthiness of God. And so again, Peter writes, for this reason, that is, God's proven ability to come through for us so that we can experience godly living to the full, make every effort to add to your faith goodness. Goodness me, what does that mean? Well, there is a definite sense of urgency associated with Peter's directive. Make every effort, he declares. It could also be stated as make haste or be diligent or proactively pursue. The apostle is obviously eager for us to see our responsibility for being good. He calls for a resolute effort toward goodness. When I was growing up, My parents were particularly intent about goodness marking my behavior. Invariably, as I would leave the house to go out with my friends, their parting words would be uh, to me would be, now be a good boy. Goodness was expected of my siblings and me, and it was fully anticipated that our behavior would be in keeping with this family value. So one day while I was riding on city transit and an elderly lady carrying several shopping bags got on the bus with no seats left for her to sit on, my parents' directive, be a good boy, echoed in my mind. I stood and offered her my seat. She just looked at me. I pointed again to my seat. This time she shook her head and said that she was fine standing. Thank you very much. I was positive that everyone in the bus was watching us by now, and I could feel the heat rising in my face as I am sure that my face turned beet red with embarrassment. I plunked myself back down into my seat, totally humiliated. Goodness me, that didn't go well. Well, after that, my inclination to give my seat to little old ladies severely tailed off. (laughs) Chivalry may not have been totally killed in me, but it took a pretty good heat hit. The ironic twist to this is now because of the color of my hair, I suppose, well-mannered teens will sometimes offer me their seats on city transit. When that happens, I have a flashback to my experience. And even though I am quite capable of standing, I take them up on their kind offer and sit down. When it comes to adding goodness to my repertoire of godly behavior traits, the challenge comes when the kind of response I was looking for in in doing good doesn't happen. For goodness to really become a part of me, I must become good-natured. 
The Greek word Peter used that is translated by our English word goodness carries a deeper meaning than when what we often associate with good character. When we think of being good, we usually think of performing acts of goodness similar to my actions of offering my seat to the elderly lady on the bus. If this is what Peter had wanted to convey, then there is another Greek word that addresses this meaning much better. The goodness that Peter has in mind has everything to do with who we are before it has anything to do with how we, how we go about doing things or how we feel. Good-natured faith participants have become fully acceptable and, and accepting of the fact that the character of God lives in them and is active within them. Peter has used this word for goodness previously in the context of the verse we are looking at today. In verse 3 of Second Peter chapter 1, uh, Peter said this, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. By His own glory and goodness. God acts on our behalf. In other words, God is good not because of what He does, but because of who He is. God is good all the time. God is good. Because this is God's nature. And so Peter links God's goodness with God's glory. By his own glory and goodness, the apostle states. Implicit with this linkage is the inseparable connection of God's glory with his goodness. Mark Buchanan states, goodness and glory are the same thing. Two qualities fused into a single attribute. And that single attribute distills into God's name. And the name of God is shorthand for his entire character. God's goodness, thus, is not merely another of God's attributes. It is his very essence, the sum of all he is. His goodness is his godness. It is for God's own glory that he is good. And it is for God's glory that he imparts his goodness to us. Peter declares that God has called us by his own goodness and glory so that we might participate in the divine nature. Goodness is God's nature expressed through us. And so when Peter instructs us to add goodness to our faith, he is telling us to have enough trust in God to get out of the way and allow God to be himself within us. Be good-natured. And the way to becoming like this is by fully participating in God's nature. In other words, to rely on His presence in you to effect change in who you are and the way you live. As Kelly just sang for us, to be still in His presence. To worship. To praise. To expect His involvement in your life. When you understand this, then you have learned the benefit of becoming good for nothing. When goodness flows from an inner life enriched by the character of God, then there is little concern about personal gratification. It doesn't matter who gets the glory or how our goodness is perceived. We have moved beyond doing good to living our lives out of relationship with the God who is good. We simply are good, whether anyone notices or not. It is what we are when no one is looking, we are good for nothing.
I would point to the following practices for goodness to reach this level in our lives. First of all, keep God between you and your goodness. Goodness, what do I mean by that? Well, on one occasion, Jesus was approached by an enterprising young man and asked what good thing he must do to get eternal life. Jesus didn't answer his question directly, but responded as he often did in a way that took the man deeper in recognizing his greater need. Why do you ask me about what is good, Jesus replied. There is only one who is good. Matthew's account of this interaction between Jesus and the man revealed that there was one thing that kept this individual from the good. He was unwilling to part with his great wealth. He resisted establishing the kind of relationship with God that would promote being good for nothing. Doing good is usually more attractive to us than being good. Wanting to know what good thing needs to be done often seems more urgent, more exciting, and perhaps more manageable than knowing the one who is good. Trying to do good without first grappling with the importance of being good leads to a futility of effort. As Jesus said, there is only one who is good, and keeping him at the forefront of our goodness is essential. Learn to be more intent on experiencing God than showing off your good behavior. Once the divine nature is nurtured in you through fellowship with the Holy Spirit, goodness will happen. Secondly, find some difficult people to help you grow in goodness. Now this may seem counterintuitive to you. But I have found that people who create my greatest capacity for growth are often those who are the most difficult. On one occasion, we had some guests at our bed and breakfast in Niagara-on-the-Lake when we were there who were, well, let me just put it this way, somewhat off-putting. And the really disturbing thing to me was that they had presented themselves as Christians. After a less than pleasant conversation, I marched out to the kitchen and muttered under my breath to Janie, Christians. Since Janie is the one with the gift of hospitality, I decided that it would be best for her to look after their needs. I would retreat to the safety of the kitchen where I would sanctimoniously busy myself with stuff. One thing that people don't often pick up about my personality is that serving is not a high-end response for me. In fact, on one of those uh, gift, uh, spiritual gift inventory things that I had taken a number of years ago, uh, serving was identified as a non-gift in my gift mix. <laughs> I, I didn't know you could have non-gifts, but anyways. However, this does not excuse me from the practice of serving as a follower of Jesus. Actually, one reason why I was okay with operating a bed and breakfast was I thought that it would, would be a way for me to enhance my serving proficiency. And so as I busied myself in kitchen duties, I sensed the finger of God tapping me on the shoulder and his reminder to me of my commitment to serve our guests with the integrity of the Holy Spirit. And so I put down my towel, I picked up the coffee craft and went out to the table to serve them. I began a conversation that led to a much more pleasant exchange, and I was actually able to enjoy their company. I even was able to assist them in sorting out directions to their next destination. 
When they left, they signed our guest book and thanked us for an amazing stay, expressing their delight in being in our home. Goodness me. Well, not yet, but I'm getting better. (laughs) Finally, find some people who exemplify goodness and learn from them. The Apostle John gives this instruction. Dear friend, don't let this bad example influence you. Follow only what is good. Remember that those who do good prove that they are God's children. And those who do evil prove that they do not know God. John is talking about people here who day in and day out, in the best of times and worst of times, in plenty or in want, do good because they are good. There's only one explanation for their response. They have tasted and discovered that God is good. They have seen God's glory and have become participants in His nature. And so find two or three people like this and follow their their lead. Friends, goodness is God's idea. And God, by his most excellent glory and grace, has called us to carry his good nature forward in a global environment where bad behavior all too often prevails. With some effort and focus on our part, we can become participants in making goodness a natural response to life's challenges. There is no question that this is God's intention for us. So here's the question. Are you standing around shoegazing or are you good to go? Let's pray. And so, Father, we are grateful this morning for who you are. Because you have not called us into a life that reflects your character and said, just well, just go and do it. You have called us, and then you have said, I will come and live within you so that you might become and receive the divine nature that helps you live out my intentions for your life. By the power of the Holy Spirit living within us, we can become good-natured. And when we become good-natured, then goodness will flow out from us because of the precious faith we have in Jesus. And so, Father, we pray. Shape us, mold us, create us to be good-natured so that we might reflect your goodness in every relationship that we have. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together as we have a word of blessing as we go. We often say, I I think it came out of of, of the uh, those men's meetings together that uh, God is good all the time. God is good. Those words flow off our our, um, lips so easily uh, sometimes. I was thinking of when Kelly was singing of a time in my life when I I just really needed God to come through for me and 
I just said, oh, God, I just feel so weak. I need you to fight for me. And he didn't kind of do what I thought he was going to do. And it helped me to realize that God isn't good all the time because of what he does for us. God is good all of the time because that's who God is. And the amazing thing that Peter says to us is that God wants to impart that good nature within us. And so my prayer, my hope, my blessing to you today is receive that. Receive the good nature of God until it becomes the defining part of your goodness. That goodness doesn't, doesn't come because you, you think, oh, I should be good. Goodness comes because the flow of the Spirit is just going, coming in and through you. So be empowered by the Spirit of God. Become good-natured. We have prayer uh, uh, people here, prayer, members of our prayer team, who would love to pray with you if there's something on your heart or your mind you would like to talk to somebody about. And so uh, please avail yourself of this. Blessing of God upon you all. We're dismissed.